0: You are listening to the Sam Gash Podcast. Conversations with peak performing individuals from the adventure, sporting, entrepreneurial, arts and business arena. You know, what ties these conversations together is that they are being held with individuals who all dare to go into the unknown. You know, this bravery inevitably means that they have stumbled, yet they have innovated, collaborated and contributed. I hope you enjoy these conversations.
1: Then 2019, I mean, if we're talking physically, it was probably the, the hardest year of my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, however you want to look at it. that you can only grow from that, and you don't always grow from the successes. So I feel like 2019 was just a little pat on the back of like, hey, this isn't as easy as I think you think it is.
0: And that was Lucy Bartholomew, global ultra runner who hails from Melbourne, Australia. She controversially entered the sport at the age of 15. She's a plant power athlete with a recipe book brewing, an unexpected entrepreneur and designer selling 4,000 Team Lucy t-shirts, which were sold exclusively from her loyal tribe of Instagram followers. This is a personal and raw insight into the current musings and reflections of 24-year-old Lucy. She's someone who seems incredibly wise for her age, which can sometimes think that you're older than who she is. Lucy's grown up alongside the exponential growth and popularisation of the sport of ultra running. And in this conversation, we discuss her rise into the international racing arena, the internal and external turmoil of neglecting recovery and being naive to the toll that endurance racing has. We also explore how she processes both public scrutiny and praise. Lucy's mantra is now friendly, not fit, which I reckon is a big call from an elite athlete. This conversation bears all, and I hope you enjoy her candour as much as I did having the conversation with her.
1: All right, we're rolling, Lucy. Awesome. Where, where are you right now? I am sitting in my house that is very much like an igloo these days. It's uh, it's really cold in here. I'm in a down jacket and down pants. <laughs> <laughs> down pants i didn't even know that existed (laughs) yeah i hit solomon up when i found out i was going to be here for a winter i was like i need your ski range they're like you don't ski i was like i don't care
0: (laughs) that's so funny people in you know europe and you know canada they laugh at us when we think that our winter is cold because we don't have snow well obviously in the high country we do but what they don't realize is like the chill factor here is extreme
1: Yeah, we have beautiful blue days, but I mean, in my house uh, yesterday morning was two degrees um, and I sleep on a mattress on the floor. So (laughs) it's not a lot of uh, a lot of space to get warmer. So it's uh, yeah, it is. It's definitely a winter here. Are you King Lake or are you in the Alpine region? So I'm King Lake. Yeah. Diamond Creek area.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, Home must be an interesting concept for you because you uh you know you're geographically quite transient and you kind of go where the season and the races take you and obviously that's all kind of shut down right now are you reestablishing you know roots a little bit right
1: now yeah it's really it's interesting because i I haven't been in one place for the amount of time that I'm in right now um for you know six or seven years and it's amazing what consistency and routine does to you. You know, I've kind of, I feel like I flee that. I don't really, uh, I i thought that I really thrived on that ever-changing, ever-exciting um, cycle of traveling and moving around. But, you know, coming into one place and having one bed and knowing that you can cook your own food and that, you know, your days become pretty routine, but like there's something beautiful about just, getting up, getting at it, going to bed and just kind of going through that routine um, is something that I, yeah, it's kind of like being back at school where like there's a place to be, I'm here and this is what i got to do and then I can just go to bed and wake up and do it again. I find that
0: really intriguing for you to say that because there's a statistic and I wish I knew it off the top of my head about the reduction in the quality of your sleep when you're sleeping in a bed that's not your own. Um, So already just on a sleep cycle and as you know athletes we know how important recovery plays in like performance and mindset so you're you're already chipping it away at one core component of what you kind of live and breathe and talk about as being essential for you um, when you're on the move all the time I like that school idea, like that you wake up, you put on your down pants and your down jacket as your uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath is your Salomon kit that you strip into when you actually go for your run. Uh, and I'm loving all of the food stuff that you're putting up on your Instagram at the moment. And, I, you know, I know you're, you're a vegan, you know, plant-based. Uh, and I look at the meal sometimes and I'm like, I don't know if I could make that, but it seems very simple, actually. You always kind of go like, there's three steps or there's three ingredients. But, you know, when someone says to me they're going to, you know, from scratch create dough for a pizza base or, uh, you know, I that's kind of like my mental block. I don't think that I can do it. Tell me a little bit about like your love affair with plant-based food.
1: Yeah. So it's really, um, it started when I, I went plant-based when I was, um, what, 19. So about five years now, and it's just been—it's interesting because the minute you say that you're plant-based, it's—you know—you see the roll of the eyes and they're like, "Oh, she just eats salad." And (laughs) I think for me, it's about really kind of opening people's eyes to the abundance that you can eat, and that you can still have the pizza, um, and you can still have the burgers and the pasta and all that. And then on top of that is more my um love for that zero waste and trying to create things from scratch so like soaking my own beans and making my own bread not necess, not necessities um totally fine that if people obviously they have busy lives and I'm lucky and grateful to have the time to ferment and feed my sourdough (laughs) and you know (laughs) I don't have a kid or a job or like anything too uh demanding so um Yeah, it's just kind of something that I've really, you know, you've got to eat to to be active. And obviously, being active is part of my my passion and my love and my life at the moment that they go hand in hand. So to share both sides of it is just it's super awesome. And I'm hoping to to release a recipe book and Mm. just show people just how simple it can be. And really, you know, like, it's none of those ingredients that are super expensive, super hard to find, like I eat, potatoes and oats and and rice like peasant considered food Um, but I just eat them in a variety of ways and give new life to them every time.
0: Do you reckon in the um, recipe book that you might almost kind of do like a monetary value of like you know to create this meal from scratch it costed you know x amount?
1: Yeah I think that could be really interesting like something like beans is a great example like buying dried beans they sit next to each other in the supermarket Uh, or opposite each other cans and then dried but the fear of looking at these dried shriveled up hard pebbles and going there's no way that I can create that into a chickpea that I can then eat into hummus or falafels or something Um, but you get you know five or six cans in this three dollar bag of chickpeas rather than a dollar fifty per can on the other side so it's really a small thing to do all you got to do is put it in some water boil it and you Bob's your uncle like it's easy yeah when you're creating this book are you
0: thinking um, of your target audience being people who are already plant-based or are you writing it um, with a the viewpoint of like people who are plant-based curious or uh, you know who just simply follow you on social media and therefore kind of are influenced to buy what you put out
1: I'm really wanting to reach the people that want to better themselves. And wh- however that looks, um, I don't mind. You know, if you're looking at kind of becoming just using less waste or if you're looking at it for like int- being intrigued about being plant-based. And the thing with the book is um, like my dad is not plant-based. And so these meals, you know, I, you know we, there's pizza bases in there, but I'm not expecting people to not put cheese on their pizza. So there's actually like it actually says like my dad loves putting cheese on this and he'll put whatever he wants, you know, this is to make it friendly for everyone. And so everyone's happy because I just want people to, to thrive and be happy and be the best version of themselves. And I by no means think that sometimes cutting out, you know, meat and eggs and dairy is like the answer to that. So it's more about just, you know, being conscious and just being aware. And at the end of the day, like enjoying cooking and creating something for other people and yourself.
0: I think that's a very accessible um, positioning to have. And I think your dad's very lucky that you, I know that you cook a lot for him. Uh, Every day. Yeah, he (laughs) is very lucky. That is your rent paid. I think so too. Do you, like, I mean, Oh there's so many directions I want to go and I think you know Lucy is an incredible professional athlete um but obviously like there's multiple sides of Lucy and and I think there's an evolution of you know your development from an athlete coming out of high school into where you are now so I do want to touch into like the different layers of you because there's so much information like anyone can jump onto any Lucy Bartholomew podcast and hear like every element of the run stuff and and we'll definitely talk about it but you know, you're a woman now, like you're not a teenager who had like the, the tagline of, you know, ultra runner from a young age, just raw new talent, like you're, you're different. Like And I know you from 10 years ago when you did your first um, ultra marathon, you breaking rules all over the place and making me write letters to the race director saying that you're a too young female to do the event. But let's touch on to that because your first – um, entrance into the ultra-marathoning space was in 2000 and give me the year 2012 the surf coast century 100 kilometer clicker um, give me the insights to that.
1: Yeah so in 2011 my dad did the uh, what was the North Face 100 now the UTA and I saw the first time what a 100 kilometer race can look like uh, be that I saw the front of the field I saw my dad in the middle and then I saw you know the back of the pack the people that were cake in one hand coke in another hand taking a selfie walking through the trails and calling it you know sport and um, I saw this race and just kind of got back from seeing my dad finish and had to find the next 100k that would let a 15 year old girl, run. And mm. I got a lot of no's. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but the first century wrote back to me and they said, you know, like, oh, we've got this group of other kids that are walking it. But, you know, the fact that I wanted to take two feet off the ground was kind of uncharted territory, um, which I understood. And so they put in um, rules that I needed to abide by. I needed to submit a nutrition plan. I needed to submit a, my training plan. I needed to run side by side with my dad. Um, but you know, like everyone has an opinion and this is something that I am consistently Mm -hmm. learning even at 24. (laughs) Um, but you know, my dad was on the start line. He said to me, you know, Lucy, you have to smile your whole way through this because there's a lot of people out there that want to want to pull you out just to say that they were right, that this, that you shouldn't be doing this. And, uh, so it was a 12 and a half hours. And I think the part of me that hurt the most was my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just
0: says that your legs were so ready for it. Oh, I, I have to ask because I was one of those people that had a critique, like, and my critique came from the position that I was an ambassador for that race, and I had just come out of um, doing that 100-kilometre race in the Kimberleys where there was a bushfire, and my I was very heightened to like risk and safety and you know, the responsibility of a race director to take, you know, due diligence uh, and mitigate, you know, something bad happening. And I couldn't help but put myself in the shoes of my 15-year-old self. And the other group of girls who were walking it, you know, they were 14. Like, they were younger than you. Like, you definitely were in a different category of them, having experienced a lot more in the running space. Um, But I just couldn't help but think when I was 15, you know, I – I'm going through like peak puberty. I don't know my body. I don't know how to properly fuel myself. And obviously I didn't have a father that was an ultra marathon runner. So you learned that as you were growing up. But I just kept thinking, I don't know if I would have the physical and mental maturity, not just to just do the race, but the aftermath of what that takes. And, you know, the majority of, you know, marathons around the world require you to be 18 years old. How, you know, what do you think now, having started at the sport at such a young age, and I know you're an advocate of being young and doing, you know, the things that you want to do, like having been in that experience, what do you think about it now?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's still really unclear. And the thing is, is that it's, it's different for everyone and I get, you know, hundreds of messages from young um, girls and boys asking, you know, I want to run my first hundred miles and I'm 12 years old. And, you know, I by no means want to be, I have no authority to say, Oh yeah, go for it because I don't want to be responsible for what could go wrong. And that's it. Like, you know, when you, anyone stands on a start line of a hundred K's or a 50 k or any race, you know, there's so many coulds. And when you're young, you're a little bit less, you're more risk, a little less risk adverse and you're just kind of like oh happy go lucky but the thing is and this is what I learned and I actually didn't learn it at 15 I learned it at 23 um is that you the this will catch up to you you know 100ks 12 and a half hours of running and you'll love it and you can continue and you can do races and races and races but there's going to come a point where your body is going to say hey mate like let's chill out a little bit and It might not be for a few years on, but when it hits you, you have to be smart enough. And this is something that I'm pretty proud of myself that I was able to go before my body started breaking. I was able to say, I'm not loving this right now and this doesn't feel good. So I need to step back and know that I'm so young that I can take a few years off and come back and I'll be okay. And this sport's not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, and I think with the... With a race uh, and the rules, they're sometimes catering for like the, I say this word, but it's not meant to be a derogatory, but we're catering for the lowest common denominator. You have to cater for the worst situation that might play out. Um, that people may not be prepared mentally, physically, spiritually to take it. And you have to potentially presume that at a younger age, you may not have all those faculties in place. And you may not have those faculties in place even when you're 34 years old, but <laughs> you have a bit more responsibility over and ownership over yourself then. Well, can we dig a little deeper into like the exploration of you and what's that been like over the last 10 years? Is it eight, it's eight 10 years? since you've really been in the sport, which actually is mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm, it's crazy. I remember you as this, like, as you said, like, cheek-hurting, smiley teenager um, doing these races, like, killing the field, uh, and then you've, like, you've evolved into a very confident, um, know your place, but what has been, what's been the physical challenge that you might have faced through those, that time frame?
1: Yeah, so it was, um, it was, it's been a progression. Uh, it's been a roller coaster. I so after running that 100K, you know, I went back to school. I ran that 100K again the following year and had a successful run uh, without having my dad by my side. And then <laughs> he was holding me back, obviously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> um and then, yeah, you know, like once I left school, I had the ability to obviously train full time and or I decided to take a gap year and thought I'd see what's out there in the world. and I had some success, and I put my success in those early years down to the sport still growing, and being in an age category that is very minor, so you know, like in Australia they created under 20 categories for me. And then, yeah. you know, like the female competition was kind of, you know, two or three, four people in the race. And I was like, Oh, I came third. That's amazing. You know, and my resume is impressive on paper, but in actual fact, you know, like it was, it's nothing compared to what the sport is now, which is just so amazing, especially for the females. Um, And then after, yeah, after a bit of success overseas, I was able to to pick up some sponsorship, you know, gain this, I wouldn't call it like a job. I was just bumming around and living a very cheap life that that, like I was just meeting my needs and have managed to hold on to that and kind of grow um, with the sport and be very aware that I didn't want my identity to be just the running. And so I've kind of tried to branch into other things without really knowing it. I wouldn't say that writing a cookbook was on my radar or creating t shirts was on my selling points or anything like that. And social media certainly didn't have that big a deal to me until um, recently. But uh, yeah, so like physically, it's been it was a slow progression, I grew with the competitiveness and the intensity of the sport really well and and uh, you know in 2017 I kind of had like my breakout year 2018 uh internationally like uh, running the western states 100 miles coming third was kind of like a great year and then 2019 I mean if we're talking physically it was probably the the hardest year of my life physically mentally emotionally spiritually however you want to look at it I kind of mm. had punches thrown from all angles but um I mean, you can only grow from that and you don't always grow from the successes. So I feel like 2019 was just a little pat on the back of like, hey, this isn't as easy as I think you think it is.
0: Why do you think 2019 was so hard? Was it, you know, off the back of like a culmination of a lot of hard years developing the sport and then really pushing it to the max or, you know, was it other stuff happening in your life?
1: No, it was definitely, you know, Western States 2018 was a very big deal to me. I had been wanting to get into this race. It was something me and dad always watched um, Unbreakable, the, the movie on it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I got in, I was like, all right, this is what I'm dedicating my year to. And I put myself on a knife's edge. And anyone who knew me, saw me, met me, spoke to me at that point would know that I was very, I had just like blinkers on and I wasn't thinking about any other day other than June 29. And, um, yeah, when you walk that edge, you know, it's very easy to fall off the other side. And I was able to get to race day, have the great race, but I didn't fully appreciate, uh, the recovery of it and being, you know, 23, 22 and a bit, you know, pretty naive to the, 100 mile distance and had always kind of put recovery on the back burner I always just went from race to race and um, yeah it just all caught up to me and it just you know my body my head my heart was just telling me like this is this isn't working and it's not clicking and right now you're just faking it for uh, and it's not worth it what kind of signs did you see I just, you I had just, I like, I didn't want to go running. I'd wake up and I was just like, man, I don't want to do this. But I was like, no, I need to do this. Or I, I have to do this. You know, like after coming third at Western States, you get back in. And so from when I finished the race, I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing in 2019. And I just tried to replicate that year again. And every run was as was just so bad compared to what it had been and everything felt so hard and I was just being tested and I was just emotional and you know my body was just like telling me through signs of like um like I didn't get my period for 2018's Western States and I was like oh great but then it came back which was good but it came back and was just like came back with like a fire of like, no, like you can't keep going ebbing and flowing in and out of this. And, you know, everything started aching. And I was just, you know, I tore my hamstring, I rolled my ankle and things weren't, weren't healing like they should. And I know what it feels like to thrive. And I know that I was being debilitating to myself by pushing myself through this year.
0: Oh, Lucy. Um, you know, that sounds exhausting on many levels.
1: Yeah, it was probably just more um, like very like emotional, like I'm not and my mom will say this, you know, I don't have like, I'm not normally a crying person or an anxious person or like a worry person. And um, yeah, I just felt like the emotions, I felt the aches, I felt the like, the bloating, you know, like, I just didn't want to go out. And the other thing was, and I'm still kind of rebounding from it was that I had really bad digestion. Um, And so my what happened, and this is all theory, I'm hoping this is the answer is that my body just got so exhausted from um, all the work I'd been doing, and like, just pounding away that, my stomach kind of stopped pulling out nutrients of food and instead kind of just stored it. Cause it was like, well, we don't know when she, what she's going to do next and we need to just always be ready. And so what I became was really deficient in, you know, a lot of those key nutrients, be it iron, vitamin D, vitamin E. um, And you know, that leads to a whole range of other problems so when you're low on iron but you're still you're still getting the period but then you're eating these foods that are just kind of going straight through you or just getting stored and not being pulled apart it's just a uh, a recipe for disaster.
0: And it probably was terrifying for you to be going through all that at the age of 22 when you've just come off your peak year and you're feeling probably an expectation to deliver again.
1: Yeah, and that's why, you know, I stood on the start line of 2019 and was just like, you know, in 2018, I got to about the 100K mark before I looked at my watch. And I was just like, that was the most beautiful first 100Ks of a race. Um, It was just meditative. It was that flow state that we as athletes use search for. And then in 2019, about 5Ks in, I remember looking at my watch and just being like, this will be the longest day of my life. And, you know, if it hadn't been for my brother who was who'd come over and he was pacing me. So I really wanted to get to where he was. And then I had Sally McRae, another ultra runner, bringing me home. And they were just like, we'll stay out here until, you know, 30 hours, the cutoff to be with you. Um, Yeah, if it hadn't been for that, I would have thrown in the towel. But, you know, like for sure, I had expectations of people. I had people questioning the way that I was looking because I looked different than the year before, questioning. What, you know, how I was eating, what I was doing, who I was, am I still valuable? I had, you know, like you've got the weight of sponsors. This is your job. You have one day in the year that I needed to be ready and I wasn't. And that is just, it's a very hard thing to wrap your head around and be okay with.
0: Well, how do you respond? And then how, after consideration, do you cope when people are making a commentary on how you look and what your performance is? Um from sponsors to strangers, from people that you know, from people that you really care about like how do how do you feel about that?
1: I'd be lying if I said like i didn't it didn't bother me in any way um you know, certainly, I very much have a tier system of like I care what my family thinks first and foremost um and you know, like in 2018, when I was my fittest, I like, you know, so many people said you weren't the friendliest, you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, that was something that I was like, I would rather be friendly than fit. And that is just like, that's my motto now is like, you know, they say like strong, not skinny. And I just like, remember, you know, when you're in that kind of state, you're, you're not a nice person. And, you know, you've just, you're just solely a selfish, you're Focusing on yourself. Um, so when other people make comments and they compare me to 2018 me or 2012 me, I mean, you know, I saw this picture the other day and it was someone like a person said to another person, You've changed. And the, the person was like, I hope so. You know, yeah. we're, we're meant to evolve and change and grow. And I get, you know, I get criticisms, I get lovely comments, I get people picking me apart, and I get people that are like, here to lift me up and I take it all in and from that I, I grow and I take it I read it I think about it and then I'm just like you know what like at the end of the day none of this matters and you know as long as I'm doing what's right for me and can keep me in this sport and keep me happy and be a friendly person then I'm heading in the right direction Do you feel like the 2018
0: version of Lucy who was standing on the start line of Western States, like, was she healthy?
1: No. You know, like, I I wrote a blog or I I thought about writing. I don't know if I've actually ever penned
0: it. it. Did I write it? It was in my mind. I basically wrote
1: it when I was running. (laughs) Exactly. Pretty much every run I've thought about this. And I thought that, you know, that was considered a successful race. And, you know, every podcast I do, every interview I do, that's all they want to talk about. And they'll use the photos of 2018 with yeah. And I think it's really fascinating because whilst that might be a success on paper, on ultra sign signup, on ITRA, whatever you want to like put it on um, it, to me, it was something that I don't regret the way I did it, but I'm just like, you know, that has led to 2019 and 2020, you know, this whole um, accumulation of having to, to get over that. And that's not worth any third place finish or belt buckle. So mm-hmm. I think I, I, don't re- I don't regret like a lot of the journey because it was beautiful and it was fun and it's allowed me to connect with so many more people, but the effects it's had on my body I would, you know, I would highly not recommend doing that.
0: And it's brave of you to say that because, you know, a lot of people will just look at, as you said, a performance and think, well, the results of a performance and go, well, that's success. And what you're trying to say is actually like the number actually means so much, so little in context to how it made me feel, how I'm recovering now, and how I was, you know, as a person during that time frame, and let's put that in the past because I didn't want to focus on that. But the way I see you show up now, and you know, we haven't seen each other face to face for a while, and COVID's certainly not helping with that. But you know, I see you as a very ingrained community member now, um, and I, you're still a physically strong performer, and I'm sure that will always be a part of who you are, but. I'm kind of excited for you about the other aspects of what you are. And I want to discuss this notion that you before said that you don't feel like you have a job. Like, do you truly not believe that, you know, what you do as a sponsored athlete, um, you know, writing your, your book, you know, what you do through your social media, you know, um, the, the workshops that you do, the retreats. should I say, you know, selling t-shirts, do you not see that as a job?
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. Like when I come through customs on all my trips, I never know what to write. Um, because you know, like I haven't, you know, I'm not an author. I just have a bunch of recipes that I want to share with the world. I don't create t-shirts. I just, you know, draw a print on a piece of paper and I'm I'm blown away that people want a picture of a watermelon on a t-shirt. I, you know, like I don't feel like an athlete at the moment and I haven't for the last, you know, in 2017, 2018, you'd ask me for sure. I was an athlete, you know, I was dedicated to that race day, getting, you know, getting as fit as I could. And now I kind of feel like, you know, there's a part of me that loves the training, getting up, and getting at it, but it doesn't like define my day. Where the Strava tells me that I was faster three years ago than the run that I did today, um, and yeah, so I just kind of—I don't know—I feel like right now it's it's quite a, like a limbo thing for me. I'm just still trying to find my feet on what it means to be any of those things, and like, what do I want to be? And you know, the, the main thing is I just want to do wherever the wind blows and wherever it takes me and I'm quite happy just like waiting it out and enjoying every aspect of it but you know I'm not in a rush to get the recipe book out I'm not in a rush to like produce more t-shirts or I'm not in a rush to sign up to another race and feel like that's where my values lie it's just kind of fun to just you know be a part of things like something like uh, your relief run that you did for the bushfires like that community impact that is just so incredible and so like that changes lives. And at the end of the day, like being an athlete is like a pretty superficial thing, but when you can use all your little things the way you do to be something so much more, like that's what I aspire to be more like and that's that's going to have a bigger impact in the world.
0: I think you do that, Lucy, already. I actually very profoundly think that you do that. And because what you're doing right now, and like the different components of how you spend your day, aren't a traditional career path, but it's actually the way the world's working. People are, you know, they're using their diversity of skill sets and they're tying it together, um, where they once discover about who they are. How do they connect it to other people? Like that's that is going to be, you know, a big part of the workforce moving forward. And I think you need sometimes. I think you feel that you are not a professional. Um, you know whether that's a professional athlete or professional just in general uh, and therefore you don't believe that you can share your insights sometimes because you're not living the life that other people are living who are on that conventional path but I I do actually think you are it's just it looks different but doesn't mean that it's of any less value.
1: Yeah well thank you I mean I think the you know the way that I run the camps is like I put them up on Instagram and then just email me and then here's my bank details and transfer the money like it's all very um organic and it's quite you know it's nothing's really like set up like the book is just I'm like making it myself and um the team- they call that they they call that self-published it's that it's a thing
0: that, that's a real thing and it's great because you can take a you can have control and 100% of the profits minus the cost to publish it like that's the thing it's a, it's a professional avenue of creating your book
1: okay maybe I need to look change my my view on it then the wording I use <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's exciting
0: and like um you know, in the early days, when you came into this sport, which is a, is a more of an adult sport. I mean, back eight, 10 years ago, when you were entering it, there wasn't many young people doing it. It was an old person sport because who wants to just run on their own for hours and hours? It was typically old people who were slower and it's, the sport has transformed and the speed of what people are now and the age is just younger and younger and younger. Um, But like, what have you learned about yourself? And like, about your identity and like the place that you want to have in this world?
1: Yeah, I think, um, man, I, I mean, I've got so much more to learn and everyone does, but I think that through the sport, I've learned a lot about kind of, you know, what my values are and what I want to support and who I want to be in the future, more looking forward, you know, like I, the camps are something that I just love. I love that you can, bring people together in this old people's sport <laughs> and everyone just <laughs> moses around the mountains and takes their snacks and you know especially watching women empower each other up the hills and you know just mm. the, the euphoria at the end of it and then all kind of you know sitting down and having the night together and then the next morning going out and just the way that people can change their mindset and their self-belief and I think that that's something that I wish like I'd been more of a more self-belief in my in myself and now it's kind of something that I can offer to others and just be there to be everyone's biggest fan like I'm not here for the racing and for the the accolades and the race bibs like it's you know during this corona time I think it's been fascinating watching how some athletes are just like well there's no point training then and then others are like oh I have all this time like how can I what else can I do? Like, can I add in yoga or something or, you know, focus on my nutrition? And uh, like, I just, it really hasn't bothered me. I've had Western States canceled, UTMB canceled, like massive races. But you know, for me, it's just like, Oh, I don't get to see that beautiful community in Auburn or those, you know, that lovely town of Chamonix. And that's, that's Mm. more what I'm sad about. I'm not sad about the fact that I don't get to run a hundred miles at as hard as I can through the mountains. <laughs> is is there a part of you that's a little bit relieved that you don't have to do that? Certainly, yeah. You know, like if I can have another another year to get that consistency back, get you know, get every get all the systems going again, and being you know a better version and a healthier version of myself, then yeah, like Western States twenty twenty one is going to be like a super awesome experience rather than kind of trying to hurry everything through for this year
0: do you, is it hard when you're still doing like 100 kilometer plus weeks to recover or have you found a magic way of recovering with high volume
1: <laughs> um <laughs> well it, you know in, so going back in 2018 training for the western states I was running you know 120 130k weeks And, you know, obviously that was, that was good. It was working well. And then training for the 2019, I changed coaches and this coach was under the impression that you couldn't train for a hundred mile race without running 200 K weeks. And I was so desperate for answers to to feeling better that I was like, right. Okay. Well, great. This is all I got to do every day is run. So let's do it. And I was running, you know, on one week, it was, the my my birthday then I ran the UTA 50 in Australia I traveled to America and that week I ran 240 kilometers and it was the worst week ever it was just Um, yeah
0: it'd be shocking to I mean I wouldn't be like totally surprised and I'm not a doctor and I haven't gone with you to get your blood tests but like if you even had adrenal fatigue
1: Oh, yeah, you know, like I've had, I work with a nutritionist now, and I've had multiple blood tests and heart studies done as well, just to kind of, you know, like when you hear adrenal fatigue, you hear, you know, chronic fatigue, you you've just all these hormonal imbalances, like, there's a reason that like, I was just you know a mess um, come the start of western state 2019 and the end of 2019 this is not just in in the space of running like i feel like there's such value
0: in any high performance state that requires the the combination of both physical and mental like how how long can you be pushing at that very fine edge or the you know on the edge of the, the human potential like how long can you go there for and ride it without falling off and having to freaking work pretty hard to climb back up that cliff
1: yeah and you see it in athletes like Anna Frost or you look at um male athletes like Anton like it's not certainly not just a female thing but it's it's kind of definitely like gone behind the curtain at the moment and people are just like super stoked on the sport and just running lots and 100 miles is a new 100k and 200 miles is a new 100 miles and we're all going further and faster and higher and harder and I just feel like you know there's there's such a space in this sport uh, that people need to be just reminded that you know like there are so many athletes have been forgotten and are no longer no longer able to be athletes because they went out too hard and that's kind of where I want to really kind of be someone who advocates that, yeah, there's, there's definitely shit times that come with the good times.
0: Do you think you share that? Do you, do you think you kind of like very directly go like pushing to this extreme, I mean, besides on podcasts, maybe more on your own social platform, going pushing to this extreme for this long has had a detriment for me and this is what I'm doing now to recover?
1: Yeah, I mean, I put a picture up of um, Western States 2018 where I'm in, a, like, a sports bra and I'm, like, standing in a aid station or something, clearly, clearly on the brink of, like, certainly not getting a period. Like, you know, you don't have to be a doctor to say that. Um, having lots of watermelon. Like, having having lots, lots, yeah, of yeah, watermelon. totally nourished from the watermelon. Um, but, you know, the, the comment that I wrote, the caption was, like, oh, you know, like, this might maybe that was the post that I wrote and I was like, this might be deemed as a successful race. But like at the Mm. end of the day, like I was not in a successful body and so many people don't read the caption. They're like, you look great. Oh, wow. wow. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dude, come on.
0: <laughs> and that's oh, it's so freaking annoying. Like, yeah, it's look, we've got to look. And that's why I think having multiple platforms to share your message is actually a really good thing, Lucy, because Instagram can be just image superficial understanding move on. Um, you know, by being able to have your cookbook, by writing your blog, like all these different things give deeper touch points. Um, but you're right. It's not just a female, female thing. Obviously we have some probably more extreme hormones at play, but I think back to the, as you said, Anton, Timmy Olson, like when I was like in the sport, in that kind of playing around with it and doing a lot more races like these guys are doing like 200 mile weeks or I mean is that 200k weeks whatever it was like ridiculous volume like I kind of thought that people were dropping like the degree of volume but would I mean you would probably have a better understanding than me where do you think like the appetite is amongst the elite runners right now in your space like how high is their volume per week
1: Oh, it's insane. You look at like someone successful like Jim Walmsley and he's running, uh, well over 200 mile weeks. So like 320 Ks. And the thing is, is that, and someone like Killian, he does the same and he, he put up a post recently and it was really interesting because he put up this post and said, Oh, you know, like I've always been someone that like wants to push the boundaries, And I did this, I wanted to see how far I could or how many days I could go and how far I could run without eating. And he went five days. And then he's like, I always ran close to home in case I passed out. And he put no, um, like warning in this. And so many people were like, Oh, like, I think this is a great way to train. Like, I want to give this a crack. And it was called the Uh, it was like the the risk training or something and the risk stands for something and it's just you know prolonging something because he's like I was always worried in races that I would miss an aid station and not get the food so I just decided to show my my brain that I was able to go for a long time without it and you know these extreme measures are, are what lead to a lot of issues in the sport and you know Killian's on my on Solomon you know he's my teammate but I had so many people that messaged me like, oh, do you do this? And I was like, oh. no.
0: <laughs> so wait, he didn't eat for five days and he trained.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll send you the um the perk. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, again, I'm not a
0: doctor or a nutritionist, but I will say that's bonkers. Disclaimer, if anyone's listening to this podcast, I don't think Lucy and I are um condoning that type of training
1: tactic. <laughs> not at all. No. But then recently this person wanted to prove that on keto that you could run 100 miles with no calories. And so recently this guy ran through Utah um, with just water and electrolyte. And it's just, you know, that kind of thing where this gets press and obviously it's a very glamorized headline for a a news article, um, is just terrible for the sport and just so dangerous for young athletes that think that that's how you become someone.
0: Yeah. And that was my actual, that was a big fear of mine with, you know, young girls who are quite impressionable. And you're like, I remember when I did my first hundred K, it was like the Oxfam trail walker. And when I finished the race, like, you know, my legs were skinnier and I remember like everything was looser. And as my clothes started to fit normally, I couldn't help but think, oh, I've become fat. And, uh, I just kept thinking if for someone who is young, who's kind of, that becomes their entirety of their world, how are they mentally going to process that? And it's so subjective. Like some people can cope with it fine, no problem, but it's certainly, uh, a thing that a lot of people go through and they want to get back to what it feels to be light. And I think whilst, you know, Killian could do that for five days, it's almost like that's what you do when you're in survival and you've got nothing else around you. Like our bodies are incredible what they can do to survive. But do never do not think that there's not a detriment and a long-term ramification mentally and physically for that type of behavior.
1: Yeah, and that's what, you know, like Weston states twenty eighteen, like my body went into that survival mode, you know, as much as I, I was obviously eating. But mm. when you're in that deficit for so long, like you say, your body's amazing and suddenly it goes, hang on, like we need to have stores just to make sure that we can we always have something for her and that leads to your body sits in that even when you go back to eating normally and then suddenly you know like then things start fitting tightly and then that's the mental game of like oh hang on a minute like I've exceeded everything and like my body's not burning anything anymore it's just storing to be to be safe and to then have that to get that trust back from your body is a process and it's still something that I'm I'm working on and it's Definitely opened my eyes and like just made me want to tell people it's so not worth it for those shorts to be a little baggier for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, how how does that affect you? And I don't know if you can talk about this, but you know, when the brand that you're so closely affiliated with um, has really one of their major athletes kind of talking about something like this, I mean, like how does how do you how do you sit with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a post um, that I know that you saw um, that that I was at the Western States 2018 and like a part of being really, really lean is that when, and when you're part of running 100 miles is that you bloat, right? And so this picture, uh, people were like, oh, she's pregnant, congratulations. (laughs) Oh, she's running 100 miles pregnant, that's bad. And so Solomon posted this and I was just like, you know, I put it on mine and I was like, how dare people make assumptions on me? And like, this is not the case. And like, can you just stop congratulating me? Because it's not, not what it is. I'm and, not pregnant. Uh, <laughs> I'm not pregnant. Yeah. No. <laughs> I uh, wasn't getting a period. wasn't getting pregnant. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was, you know, I was disappointed that Solomon as a brand didn't comment themselves I had the girl like some of the people that manage the social media comment on their athlete profiles or their uh, private profiles but never the actual Solomon and I feel Mm -hmm. like it was a really good it could have been a really good opening of the door for that conversation which I was happy to have um but you know like I've I've struggled with some of my brands that I've worked with just to be like, you need to support me when I'm winning, but also when I'm not. And that's something that like, I'm very happy to cut ties with people and brands if they're not here for for me and who I am rather than what I can achieve and the podiums that I stand on.
0: Yeah. And that's something that takes courage to go, You know, I'm not always going to be up. I'm not always going to be producing the results that you want, particularly when I now know that, you know, there can be healthy measures, and I've obviously played with some unhealthy ones. um, But you need to ride with me. It's like if you if you did fall pregnant, you know, is that brand going to drop you because for a certain amount of time, you know, you can't race at your peak performance? But there's certainly other storytelling opportunities that can come because you're still an athlete, and being pregnant is like. It's like a pretty fundamental and natural thing to happen for a woman.
1: Yeah. And it's so relatable. I mean, like you watch, like I've watched your journey with having Harry and the amount of people that are just like, oh, it's so nice to see both the struggles of having to manage your time as a an entrepreneur, an athlete, a mom, a wife and all that. And then also like the amazing ability that like you get to go for runs with Harry and like push him up in the pram and get super, you're super strong. And that, you know, I watched athletes like Anna Frost with her Child and Emily with May, you know, like it's, that is just like something you can't just go, oh no, she's no longer useful now, you know, Mm. she's so much more useful. Those women are just, it's incredible. And, but, you know, I just don't think that a lot of brands know how to, to deal with that unclear water.
0: I really, I mean, the sponsorship space has, has developed so much since, you know, both of us entered the sport and I almost feel like there's almost like a checklist that you almost individually need to create because once you build yourself up to have a degree of profile, like you start to understand that you're creating as much value as they're providing value to you. In fact, the best relationships is when there's that each, each, uh, mutual exchange. And we just keep offering different um, skill sets. And it's almost like, you know, I now kind of say like, are they going to be comfortable if I fall pregnant again? Um, what's their you know relationship with um, being environmental? Um, what's their communication levels like? Do I have a point person that I can speak to? Is it going to be a one-off relationship or is it going to be a sustained relationship over multiple years? Like I have an individual checklist of any partnership that I ever enter. Um, have, are you starting to kind of create that in your mind as well?
1: No, actually, and like when you list it like that, I'm like, wow, that's something that like how how is that not kind of like something that I think that if you start to call yourself an athlete and that's your profession, like it should be almost like something that you can download and know, you know, like it's on the internet that this is this is what we recommend you looking at, and I think that'd be so helpful to so many aspiring athletes in any sport just to kind of have these these little pointers that just just check this section of your contract because, I mean, I signed my first contract when I was 17 and there was no way I was reading the fine print. I was just like, Oh, I get and shoes. Great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it changes. I mean, what I love about your very, um, supportive audience is they for the most part and there's always going to be you've got to realize there's always going to be the five percent of naysayers and like I hope with time you just learn to not read them because they're just going to say whatever they want and who cares they don't know you you don't know them they shouldn't be on your radar but for the 95 percent of other people they seem to be there for you when you're racing well when you're not racing well, when you're you're talking about food, when you're talking about, you know, your stance on protecting the environment and picking up litter, you know, what do you think you did to create a loyal tribe of supporters?
1: Oh, it's a good question. And, you know, I am so grateful and so lucky to have, I mean, that, that community there on social media, both, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Strava, whatever it be um you know I I really believe that like your vibe attracts your tribe and for me you know I've always just tried to be as authentic as I can to wear my heart on my sleeve you know when when shits hit the fan I say that when it's going well I share it and you know I I think the the blogs that I wrote you know some of the lead-ups to my big races I've done you know a blog a week for 10 weeks leading up and they've kind of been something that I think it really broke down a lot of barriers because it spoke about the physical, the mental, the emotional, and they were kind of like each section. I would just, you know, every week I'd write, Oh, like physically feel great. Or I rolled my ankle and then, you know, emotionally this, this, and this. And I think a lot of people were like, Oh, I can relate to that. And I, you know, I just try and be as organic and as real as I can. And, you know, I only post about things that I care about. I only post about brands I believe in. And I, you know, like I just post things, you know, like books that I read or things like a a water bottle I like, you know, I'm not, um, it's, it's, there's no long thought process. Like I was talking to someone else who has a a very large Instagram following and she was like, yeah, you know, like I have my planner with where I'm going to post things. And I created (laughs) the stories with the captions already. And then they just go up on schedule. And I was like, you do what? Like I seriously sit down for about five minutes a day and I'm like, oh, I baked some bread this morning. Here's a picture of that. And, you know, I'll put a gif in there if I'm feeling like a bit of fun. (laughs) You know, it's, there's just, it's not, um, it's not overthought. And that's why like half the time the spelling's wrong. And then half the time or not half the time, but like, every now and then I'm like, Oh, didn't really think about that being interpreted that way. And that's when, you know, I, I cop a little bit and I just grow from that. And I'm like, all right, I need to think more about sometimes just to make sure that I'm not, um, you know, just putting things up haphazardly.
0: Do you, do you feel responsible to your followers?
1: I, you know, I used to feel like I always needed to be like happy and smiling and needed to be that source of positivity. And In 2019, I really battled with that because I was like, gosh, like, I'm so good at faking right now. It's incredible. Um, But once I started to say, like, hey, I'm having a really rough time and you could see it in the photos. Like, you know, I wasn't I was certainly not looking my healthiest and you could see it in my eyes. that It was certainly not glimmering with hope. It was more like, oh, this is just (laughs) like total fakeness um and once I kind of said that they were all just like man we're here for this we're here to support you through this show us the the bad the ugly the dirty the sad like no matter what you know we can resonate with that we can lift each other up and we can work together through it and that's the power of social media that I'm there for and I just love and that's why I'll never leave that um that program
0: well, and people love realness. Like, I really think that people, one, have a good BS radar. Um, so, like, fakeness is never going to work. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing that you managed to keep people through, like, a period of being fake. Um, they clearly saw more into you than maybe you even knew yourself at the time. Um, but, like, I think people want to see someone giving it a shot. And when things don't work out, it's relatable. And someone can go, she might be an elite athlete but she's talking about you know mentally struggling right now and I know what it feels like to mentally struggle therefore we have a point of connection so I'm not just inspired by this person I'm actually now um, intertwined with her on a more like meaningful level.
1: Yeah totally and you know I was someone read me a paragraph from a book that was like you know it's all about starting with your why like why am I on social media and what does that what do I want to give out to that media and what do I want to share with those people and they, everyone else has their why, why they're on social media. And when your whys connect, you create something that is so strong and so like um, unbreakable that it's like the the strongest form of um, companionship is to have your two whys connect. And I think that that's really, really important to me is like, whenever I do things now, I start with why I'm not when, who, where, I'm more about why am I doing this? And I think that when you start with that and then when other people lead with that, that's when you're going to create strong connection and uh, build that community that is completely on your same page of the same book. It sounds like you've
0: uh, developed quite a lot on your understanding of connection. Have you um, managed to form a in-person deep connection with anyone else? (laughs) Um, (laughs)
1: Uh, you said there's no topics that I
0: can't go into
1: (laughs) like I said me and my sourdough I'm feeding that daily and that's about as good as it gets
0: (laughs) well I mean I guess that's the ISA world right now but yeah Yeah, to to get real intimate with that dough but it's. I mean I think you know it sounds like the place that you're in right now like whether you want to be in a relationship with someone else at least you probably feel like you could offer so much more because you know yourself
1: yeah and I think that at the same time like I can I I won't settle for anything other than what like I truly believe in like the the pressure to have you know a partner in life or um, yeah, to be dating someone, especially at my age, you know, 24, and apparently that's when things, you know, sh- like I've watched my brothers, you know, they've both got girlfriends, moved out, like and here I am, sleeping on the floor of an igloo, and you know, <laughs> cooking my dad dinner, and we're getting the puppy. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm just very strong, and that like I have a lot of growth and a lot of uh stuff to to overcome before I can be the best version of myself, which, you know, hopefully then that, that attracts, you know, the best version of someone else that we we connect like that.
0: Yeah, I, I can't I sometimes flip in, in where I think you are in your life. Sometimes I can't help but still remember you as like young Lucy <laughs> and then other times the way you communicate and like you have a lot of insights because you've had a lot of depth of experience on very immersive-based you know, moments in your life where you've really committed, where you've, you know, travelled on your own, you've had to fend for yourself, you've had to find accommodation on the fly, like all these things it definitely make you quite mature in your thinking. And so I, I sometimes go, oh, you're only 24. like You're,
1: <laughs> you're a baby. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing talking about relationships? Go be free, girl. <laughs> don't same, rush into it. At the same time, you know, like you become what you're surrounded by. And, you know, I've been mm. surrounded by like someone like yourself. I mean, we ran Oxfam back in. When was that together? And...
0: Oh, I don't know, but you dragged my ass the whole way <laughs> through that 100k. I did not feel good that day. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But like, you know, like someone like you, like I, and you know, that team, you know, we had Joe Nevin, we had Kathy McMillan. I like, I've had people around me that have constantly either pulled my head in, pulled me back and made me look at the bigger picture. I've got Mayel Backhausen as one of my best friends who, if anyone's going to give you that kind of, you know, spiritual Buddhist quote every day that gets you through, (laughs) he's the man. And I'm just so grateful that I have that wide diversity of of people around me that I can call friends and family and you know and I'm by no means got it nailed but by the people around me I know that I I'll be on the right path. Matt I don't know if we ever have it nailed I'm no. 35 when I was like a kid I thought
0: oh once you're 35 you, you really know what's happened, you're like you've got it sorted you've got the family and like now I've got the family um but you just, I feel like we're always like evolving and like whatever place we're in, we're always looking to where is next. And then we're kind of counterpointing that with the desire to also settle and be comfortable with what is the present.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's the same for when you think of racing. You know, when I, I remember when I came third at Western States, Mael messaged me and he said, oh, like how tell me how your life's changed. And I was like, Oh dude, you have no idea that night I slept on the floor. I got takeout. I had to find a a ride to the airport. I slept at the airport for four hours. Like it's nothing changes, you know, like, and you'll always just the next day, everyone goes, so what's next? And there's never, you've never made it, you know, like you've just got to be so content with every up, every down and just the now because if you're not content now, then, like, the future's not going to be great and the past is, it's nothing.
0: My line now when someone says to me what's next is, a bloody good lie down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get a little bit of rhyming but also like people do like you do something that you've spent so much of your heart and soul like building up to you finish it and literally the moment of finishing it someone like dares to say to you like what are you doing next it's just like it's almost like a slap in the face going why are you is it because you have nothing else to say to me or is it because like you can't even let me be in this right now and we have to fight, we have to fight like the human desire to constantly push the boundaries and go, no, like part of pushing the boundaries is actually like settling and like resisting the temptation to push harder.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it, like I the UTMB last year, I pulled out of CCC and I remember everyone coming back to me and being like, oh, like, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I was like, dude, I'm fine. Like I pulled out because... I just didn't have the heart for it. And like, I'm uninjured, I'm good. And everyone's like, oh, okay, so what's next? And I was like, dude, I don't have the heart for it. Give me some space. <laughs> <laughs> it, <was a> tough- <laughs> it won't change tomorrow.
0: <laughs> You're almost saying to them like – I would like to say to you, read between the lines, but the lines are very clearly drawn out right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't spell it out to you anymore.
0: (laughs) I'm stuffed. Give me
1: a break. (laughs) Oh,
0: I mean, like when I think of you now and like, yeah, you're a runner, but there's two like areas that I see besides the food as well, because we've spoken about that. Uh, I definitely see like there's this interest in, you know, women's empowerments and, and, and maybe men too, but I feel like you've definitely got this um, pull towards enabling other women, whatever their age is, to find self-belief, self-worth uh, through movement uh, and through mindful practices and there's also like this draw to you towards like the environment and that comes through your food, but it also comes through like, you know, where you're trying to tell everyone to pick up their freaking rubbish, whether you put it down or you see it along the path and like, where's the pull towards now starting to look externally um, to put your attention into?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's so many avenues that like that interest me and intrigue me and, you know, there's so many cool things going on in the space, um, of, you know, like adventure outdoors. And you see things like, you know, people are running for charities and they're creating things and they're doing just amazing things out there that I want to be a part of. So, you know, someone like there's the take three for the sea and then Mael created take three for the trail. And Mm. I was just like, Oh, well, that's amazing. And like, I don't understand why, like we run these long distances. We wear these packs. I mean, you might as well pick it up and put something in your pack. Um, and then there's the side of, yeah, just kind of like environmental and the cooking and the zero waste and using things from your garden. And I mean, I, there's so many avenues that I'm just so interested in. And I'm so interested in seeing, you know, creating things that create community. And I think that's the biggest thing in our sport is that the community is what makes ultra running what it is and it what draws people in. And that's why I think, you know, like releasing the t-shirt with a watermelon on it, people just loved it because it created connection and people would travel. And at UTMB, people would be like, oh, like I saw four of your t-shirts walking around the um the expo and I went up to them and I was like well if you follow Lucy too you must be nice and I was just like oh my (laughs) gosh this is how people are starting conversations (laughs) like that
0: I mean that must make you feel amazing like I hear that and I kind of like go damn that's awesome like I'm so excited for you like how do you feel about that
1: oh phenomenal I I remember this one guy he was at a soccer match in, you know, like a a hundred thousand people stadium and two rows in front of him was a person wearing one of my t-shirts and he was wearing his, and he took this photo of the crowd. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is in Brazil or Spain or something. And I was you know, even sending out the t shirts, I was sending it to Venezuela, I was sending it to Chile, I was sending it to the Netherlands, you know, and I was just like, Oh, my Oh, my gosh, like, this is so much bigger than I than I think I give myself credit for. And that I like I, these, this community is just full of interesting people. And I just want to meet them all. And I want to hear their story and how they found my Instagram account and that connection and their why and you know, just kind of be a part of that because it's incredible like and yourself you have the same kind of feeling thing you have such a following it's uh it's something that's just such a gift sometimes are you are you still selling the t-shirts for people who are listening to this podcast so the ones, um, the old ones are no longer being sold. They were, they said Team Lucy on them, and they were mainly for my crew for Western states. But they kind of went wild, and we ended up selling like eight thousand of them worldwide. And um, I kind of hated who was who was posting. I,
0: sorry, I need to ask you who was posting all them. Pace Athletic, Um, just a a, (laughs) yeah, not me. (laughs) I've just got these imagery of like you (laughs) on on your mattress on the ground (laughs) with all these packages, like writing out the addresses and then going to like the post office. So it's good to know that someone's helping you
1: there. (laughs) Yeah, I was so lucky to have their support. Um, But I hated the team Lucy thing. I really felt like. I get that like they follow me and that's the connection, but I just like, we should all just be, you know, like on the same team of, you know, and we're all just one team and I don't want to be like that name on it. So the new t-shirts that come out are being called, I am one in a melon. Um, And so it's more about uh, empowerment and just kind of saying like, we are all one in a million. We are all unique. We should all just all watermelons are different or, and we all have these, you know unique things about us and if we can embrace that then that's when we become the strongest version of ourselves and we build the best community of our same tribe so that's what's coming out and um, and
0: they'll be sold on lucybartholomew.com slash store
1: yes correct that'll be on my website Cool. I'll be in yeah, the garage could, doing those.
0: <laughs> you could probably get some interns off your Instagram account.
1: <laughs> I reckon I was going to have like a little place, a little base in, you know, America and Europe just to kind of save some of the costs and stuff. Um, good so idea. I might have to, yeah, yeah, put it out on my story and see what comes back.
0: <laughs> because you are, I mean, you are truly global, which is, you know, the power of social media. Do you feel like there's a, um, a stronger audience um outside of australia or is australia pretty deep
1: well if you look on like my statistics you're, uh america is my biggest following um so yeah, i definitely feel like i think i spent so much time away from australia that when i come back here sometimes i feel a little like a foreigner um you know the sport
0: you sometimes have a little um twangy American accent in your (laughs) voice that
1: I'm like Lucy is there something uh, I gotta know (laughs) maybe that's why everyone treats me differently sometimes (laughs) (laughs) um no you know like I I've got homes everywhere and I kind of just you know I love the communities and the places but I'm, I'm sure you get this too like the world of trail running is just changing so quickly and there's so many people coming into it that you I go to races and I'm like I don't know any of these people and you know maybe they say they know me through following me on Instagram or something but it's uh yeah it's interesting but it's probably America that I'm like I feel the like I know those people really really well and that's kind of yeah a very um attractive attractive place for me
0: I've been out of the scene for way too long I'd go there and I'd be like I don't know anyone I'm like, everyone hey, would be Sam. like,
1: I know Sam. <laughs>
0: no, totally not.
1: Yeah.
0: I feel, yeah, no, nah, I feel quite out of that scene, but it was almost, again, by design. Like I I had enough um, experiences in pre-organised races that really made me question like the whole race system, like that race in the Kimberleys with the bushfire, but then like when someone passed away in like China and like experiencing the race director's response. And this is not at all to poo-poo on race directors. I think they're amazing and incredible But it kind of, it forced me to ask myself, well, if I was to spend my time and energies anywhere, where would I put it? And it just felt for me like expeditions is what excited me the most. And I think, you know, we can start in a certain place and we can move and we can jump and we can go, you know what? I actually don't even want to run anymore. I want to get on a mountain bike or I want to swim. Like as athletes, we don't need to pigeonhole ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I think that for me, you know, I was constantly, I was always the long distance runner running 100Ks at fifteen. And at the end of this year, I'd actually signed up for the Busselton Ironman. And the reason... Yeah, because I was like, you know what? Like, I I don't really like riding a bike, but I can learn. And I really love swimming. And I was like, I just want to do something that is so left to feel. I have no expectation. No one in that sport cares nor knows who I am. I was like, I want to do something different. And I want to just explore that realm and you know i see you doing all these adventure races and cool sports and it's not just running and that monotonous same thing so i think that that's just it's way more empowering to be able to say i can do all these things rather than just pinpointing yourself into i only run i don't get out of bed for less than 100 k's
0: (laughs) yeah i've always um i mean just deviate from that part but like I I always had an issue when someone said, oh, I've only run or I've just run 20Ks. I'm like, do you understand that like for the majority of people on this planet, like they couldn't even like mentally conceive what it was like to run 20Ks. And it's never just like, I still deeply remember my first 5K run. I still deeply remember when I first ran all the way up Anderson Street Hill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, and I think like at you know at Ultra Trail Australia is a great example. Like there's the twenty-two K race and then there's the hundred K. And you know, when I ran the hundred K everyone was like, Oh, I just did the twenty-two. And I was and then I ran the twenty-two two years ago, and I have never pulled up so sore and <laughs> like I couldn't put my calves on the on the pavement. I couldn't walk on my heel. It was just so painful. And I was like, you know what? The the shorter the distance, the more respect I have for you, I would happily run a hundred miles on top instead of that. Yeah. Cause what people don't
0: get is like the longer, the slower you can go yeah. the more hill, the slower you can go. You're changing your muscle groups up. I mean, I pull up Sora from park run than most things.
1: Oh, and I dread park run more than any run on my week schedule. You know, I get nervous for that and I come out of it and I need to have a nap at 8.30 in the morning. It's like (laughs) giving a five-hour
0: run. (laughs) And people expect you to be good at that discipline too. And you're like, no, like I actually just spent six hours like, you know, fast packing in the Alpine region. It's like totally different. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, I, I love that you're kind of entering into like different forays of adventure and it's good to not just be run fit um, because like when you are run fit sometimes I'm like oh I might be able to run 100 miles right now but I, I couldn't squat I couldn't deadlift I couldn't you know I couldn't you know ride a bike up a mountain bike up a hill or down a trail like it's it is limiting the scope of like how we can sometimes like move our entire body but I mean obviously that's how you choose to train and we can obviously do strength training in running but it's nice to have that broad like connection to multiple disciplines
1: yeah totally and it takes you know like women like yourself to really show show girls that you can or and guys that you can do one thing you can do that well but then you can also just like head out and do something else and you we all have the ability to you know take on any challenge you know you get thrown in a pool you can swim you can get a bike that you can go riding and you can see the world and yeah you don't have to pick one sport and that's that's where you're defined as you know we're we're all human and we're all able to to take on anything and the body will adapt and change and strengthen based on what you do so like why don't we want to be the strongest we can trying all these different avenues
0: yeah one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen of you that's non-running related is you and Jess Fox uh, at the <laughs> like these Two, you know, beautiful women like just muscling it out in their like dresses with you. I know that you were feeling so awkward that night in a dress and makeup and the makeup artist did all this makeup on you and you were like, ah no, go to the toilet and wipe it all off. Mm, and well, there was that moment <laughs> when you were behind like on the red carpet and you're like, we're not gonna pose and like powder our lips. Let's freaking muscle it up.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because I we did that picture and that was great. And then Tia Claire Tooney. Um, so the world's fittest CrossFit (laughs) champion, she flexed and I was like, well, thank God we weren't near her for that.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wish that you guys did it next to her and (laughs) we actually saw what real muscles were. (laughs) (laughs) I, I always do that to Mark. I'm like, look at my muscles. And he's like, hmm, babe. I'll just just put your little pixie arms away
1: yeah. I like i showed my dad my bicep the other day and he like put his hands around it and squeezed and it kind of just deflated and i was like well don't do that <laughs> no, no,
0: no. No, don't touch it mate <laughs> it's very it's, it's tender <laughs> uh Liz, um, this just makes me want to go for a run with you which like we don't even live that far away from each other we can totally create it now that our isolation um rules have lifted enough um you meet caroline let's head out on the trail Let's. I'll hopefully guide you guys in the right direction, and you won't get lost Take in the, the Daniang ranges. I remember that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Lucy and I have gone on some interesting adventures and they typically involve, you know, challenges when one of us leaves our key behind. <laughs> but you know what? It. <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure. I it's also been a pleasure to see like the growth of someone that you see from such a young age and like evolve and definitely also, you know, you're playing a role in crafting what this sport looks like. And I like that you are owning your voice it when you don't like the direction that it's going or it's not connecting to you you just say it and I think the more you feel comfortable to do that obviously it's going to benefit you but it actually does benefit a lot of other people
1: yeah well I have to say uh, before this finishes that you know someone like yourself has taught me a lot about you know being in the in the spotlight having a voice and using it for good and you know the power that you can that one person can create and especially when we work together and yeah, I think what you've done through your speaking, your podcast, I mean, gosh, all your outlets is, is phenomenal. And yeah, just, this is what we need in the world is just to see, especially women empowering women, which is, I think something that the sport might need, especially in Australia needs a little bit of a nudge. I mean,
0: I don't want to even go into that because, I see globally, there's a much more connection with yeah. females. And I think Australia is a little bit far away from um, the cohesiveness, particularly of females at the top of the field. And may, I think I'd love to get you on the, the conversation again, Lucy, because I think we should talk about like culture, yes. um, competitiveness and how, you know, just because you need to be an inner mongrel on the start line of a race and throughout the race doesn't mean that that shouldn't switch off when you get off. Yeah, I would love
1: that. Cause it's something that I definitely think about and experience um and yeah that bothers me a lot so I would really love to to chat about that
0: Let's totally do that because I think that's a really healthy conversation for a lot of people um, and it takes it to be verbalised for people to think about it a bit as well. And I think guides are a little bit better than us. Um, doesn't mean that we can't get there, but we need to talk about it. Yes, yeah, rally the troops. <laughs> rally the troops. All right, well, Luce, you and me on the trails. Thank you for, like, your time and I can't wait to release this podcast because I think people are going to love it. All right, love you, Sammy. Thanks, girl.